You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guests on this episode of Talking Taiwan about the topic of Asian hate are Peter Yang Zhao and Steve Lee. Both have been active in fighting crimes against Asians and have lots to share on the topic of Asian hate. Peter Yang Zhao is an anti-Asian hate crime activist and Tourette syndrome activist. A quick glance at his Instagram handle at fabulously underscore Tourette reveals how outspoken he is on these topics. We will have him back on as a guest in a future episode to talk about his Tourette syndrome advocacy work. Sergeant Steve Lee is a 16-year veteran of the NYPD, a whistleblower fighting to reform police corruption and anti-Asian hate crime activist. In 2020, he ran for state assembly in District 40. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, Felicia. Thank you, thank you. Peter, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? My name is uh, Peter Zhao. So I'm, I'm Chinese, and I've been in New York City for 30 years, born and raised in China. And uh, I'm a father, husband, and I'm an activist. I also happen to have experienced some hate crime myself to my family. And I know Felicia for a long time, and Steve is a good friend. Peter, could you mention something about your Tourette's activism? Activism? Uh, before I started to uh, become active and uh, speaking out for equality and hate, I have always been a Tourette syndrome advocate. <laughs> oh, perfect. I got some ticks right here. So, so I, I know we will have a follow-up episode on Tourette syndrome. But very briefly, uh, Tourette syndrome, uh, as many of you may know or may not know, is a, a semi-involuntary neurological disorder associated with tick attacks. You also have a lot of hidden behavioral health uh, characteristics. So when I was diagnosed back in, uh, what, 29, 30 years ago, when I was just 12 years old, uh, I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome and co-occurring symptom ADHD and OCD. I was medicated for a long time and I stopped being medicated. And uh, I started advocating for Tourette syndrome since I was eighth grade after I used my fist and beat up my bully. Because really, uh, back in school, I was tormented. Everybody, not just the white kids or non-Asian, everybody called me the freak. You know, I was, I was being tormented every day and teacher just won't do anything. So my mom said, you got to use your fist. And everything since I want to, I want to fight against the bully. And I started advocating for Tourette since eighth grade. And um, now comes Asian hate and equality. I've always been speaking out. I have always been trying to tell people who I am, let you know about me first before you assume who I'm not, right? So this goes hand in hand with the current activism for equality and hate. And uh, I think this come to me very naturally. And I'd love to do a follow up with you, Felicia, next time in the next podcast. Yeah, definitely, because I, I think it's um, worthwhile for people to know more about um, what Tourette's is, and um, you've actually gotten some local media attention about that. Steve, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, Stephen Lee, a 16-year veteran in the NYPD, um, became a sergeant in 2013. I was transferred to the 109 Precinct, where I went undercover for two years and um, exposed police corruption. Um, I then became a whistleblower after that in 2016 um, because I kept on pushing for them to clean up the corruption, but they wanted to isolate the incident. 
Um, and then they started retaliating against me because I kept on pushing the issue of cleaning up police corruption. And so, you know, that made me a whistleblower and currently fighting it in court and in the streets, right? We're trying to bring awareness to it. Uh, I've been doing podcasts. I've been doing, you know, all types of events and stuff like that. And, <clears throat> you know, been out there fighting um, Stop Asian Hate since when? Uh, since 2020, right? Last year? Well, it's been like a year. Yeah, now. yeah. You know, that's so, when the whole thing started. Uh, yeah, we, we, we started when the grandmother was set on fire in Bensonhurst. So we did an event there. And, you know, um, they can't burn us all. And it just flourished to everything else, everybody else speaking out. A brief note from our listeners. Steve is referring to an incident that happened last summer on the night of July 14th, 2020, in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, New York. An 89-year-old woman had left her home and was walking outside when two men slapped her in the face and set her clothes on fire. We've also been participating in Black Lives Matter because their lives do matter. Uh, we're trying to bridge the gap between the communities and unite everyone. Um, I think uh, that's about it, right? I'm fighting for um, police reform. Yeah, I ran for politics too, so. Mm -hmm. What office did you run for? I ran for state assembly against Ron Kim last year. Are you planning to run again? Yes, I am. I just want to put in one thing, you know, Steve, New uh, you know, assembly man, you know, I'm proud of this guy, you know. I hope I hope he runs again. I'm definitely gonna back him up. How do you and Steve know each other, Peter? Oh, um, you know, like I always say, you know, um, uh, despite the pandemic, kept kept us indoor. I'm an office worker, so I have been working remote from home for, for over a year now. And uh, despite the fact that I'm not out there, but, uh, you know, through social media, through Facebook, you actually get to meet real friends. <laughs> you know, not, not a lot of people out there just have a fake icon, uh, but there are a lot of people out there who are real hot-blooded, you know, hot and soul people, and it's like Steve. So this is exactly how we met, you know, last January. Uh, <laughs> Uh, COVID-19 first started and there were a lot of uh, there was you beginning to get that, that tension and and there was sporadic Asian hate attacks uh, throughout New York City um, especially Chinatown Flushing so this is when when multiple groups new groups formed on, on Facebook uh, dedicated to speaking out against these hate attacks so at the same time, uh, East Coast, West Coast, there are people start coming out to doing like block watches. So Steve uh, was running for his 2020 campaign for Assemblyman Flushing. Uh, at the same time, he you know he he funded uh, this this group, uh, Asian America, and basically it's a, it's a block watch program. And um, knowing I have you know knowing I have kids and their family. I'm not looking for like a block watch program, like, you know, like the guardian angels where I really can use my vigilantism and fight people. But I realized this is the kind of black watch where you simply, you simply do what other people don't do. You know, on New York city subways, they talk about see something, say something, but how often do you people say something and do something? So, so these black watches, basically we walk around, patrol the streets and you, you yell, you scream. You call people out, right? You, you try to 
cut off their conversation, try to get in between. We're not trying to use our fists because, you know, we, we don't have the authority to do that. At the same time, we also need safety first. So, but we're doing exactly what other people don't do. And also is exactly what we should do. See something, say something. And that's how I got to know Steve because he was online uh, promoting this and I signed up. At the same time, I was wondering uh, who to back, back for in, in flushing because I'm tired of uh, the same old politician flushing doing the same thing and a lot of lip service and don't do anything real for the community. And I saw Steve. So I joined, joined the group and I also backed him in politics and I befriended him. You know, it's been a year now, and him and I were like, we're like soul brothers, you know. Uh, you know, one second feels like 10 years, you know. Yeah. So um, to, to add my version of the story to that is, um, yeah, I, I ran for um, state assembly. Um, COVID happened shortly, very like early into my campaign. I would say like maybe like a month into my campaign or something like that, because it was happening in China already. And, you know, I heard about it from my parents. I heard about it from other people. And then, you know, since it was around Chinese New Year's, I knew that uh, a lot of people were going back to China and they were going to probably come back and that, you know, um, possibly bring back the virus with them. And um, that's when I decided, you know what, what can I do? So I went, I went out and bought masks out of my campaign money. I, I bought a whole bunch of masks. Um, and, you know, I, I, I asked at that time it was ridiculous because the department of health, New York city department of health and like the mayor's office and all the other politicians, they were all saying, don't wear a mask. All right. They were all saying, don't wear a mask. It causes more harm. Um, and it's around flu season too. So I'm like, okay, so what do we do about the flu? And they're like, oh, for the flu, yeah, you can wear a mask. <laughs> so it yeah. made no sense to me. So it's like, how the hell are you going to know? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of confusion early on about the whole yeah. mask issue. So so I asked them. I was like, look, I got, what was it, 10,000 masks? I have 10,000 masks, N95 masks. I have 10,000 N95 masks. What should I do with it? They said, don't give it out. Hold on no. to it, whatever, blah, blah. So <laughs> I was like okay, you know what, um, screw you. <laughs> I'm going to give it out to the seniors because I heard mm -hmm. that it affected seniors and children mm -hmm. the most, mm -hmm. right? So I went to the senior center and I donated to the seniors. Um, and then what happened was uh, my political opponent called that senior center up. It was self-help, right? Called the board up because it made the news, right? And people were happy that I was giving out masks and all that stuff. And I told him I was going to come back every week and give the masks. So he called up the board and, you know, made a big stink about it. And then the board was like, oh, unfortunately, we can't take donations from political um, people or whatever, mm. so forth and so on. Mm. But they still needed the mask. So I was like, just take the mask. <laughs> you know, no, no photo op, no nothing. Mm -hmm. they, ran, they came outside because I couldn't go inside the building, apparently, because of that phone call. I couldn't mm. go inside the building. Mm. So they came outside. I took it out of my back of my trunk, and I just gave it to them. No photo op, no nothing. Take yeah. it. You mm. need it, take it. You know? And then, um, you know, we started giving out to other places also. Um, 
attacks started happening because people were calling a Chinese virus. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, this is all your fault, whatever, right? Blaming the Asian community. Around that time, there was uh, very little unity amongst the Asian community. And um, around that time, people were actually posting signs like saying, I'm not Chinese, I'm Vietnamese, or I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. Hmm. And we thought that was sad because it was like, you know, yeah. that's, that's basically saying, hey, don't attack me. Attack the Chinese person, you know, instead. So yeah. to me, it read different, right? And mm-hmm. since I seen people start getting attacked, I was like, you know what? I posted on Facebook, Crimes Against Asians, and I wanted to start a black watch. Um, I have 16 years of police experience. So, you know, I, I, I could give some pointers on you know, how to defend yourself and what to, what to do. And stuff yeah, like that. can you how talk about, like, what you've seen as a police officer? Have you, like, you, I'm sure you've seen things firsthand. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen a lot of texts, and it's... Uh, oh, first I have to announce, um, I'm speaking as an individual and not a representative of the police department. Okay. <laughs> uh, apparently, I have to give that disclaimer every time right. I do an interview now because okay. otherwise they'll try to use that to get me in trouble because right. me whistleblowing, whatever. Okay. But um, I've seen attacks happen and I've seen the police do nothing. Seen co workers do nothing. Um, for instance, there's another Black Watch that's, that started. So, so, all right, so, so timeline-wise, I don't want to break up timeline. So timeline-wise, we try to start the Black Watch. Um, then lockdown happened. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to go out during lockdown. People were scared. So they didn't want to come out and do the Black Watch. It was only me and, like, two other people mm-hmm. that came out. Uh, we drove around. We didn't, like, you know, um, walk around in the crowd because uh, of lockdown and stuff so we stayed we we drove around we patrolled around and stuff like that and you know this is all me doing it off duty during my own time and stuff mm-hmm. like that and where was this in flushing or in, in flushing. Flushing. flushing okay oh so when i posted on crimes against asians a lot of people reached out national wide mm-hmm. even even internationally what did you post people on in the there? Um, just that, you know, this is, we need to protect ourselves. We need to rise up and we, we want to start a black watch. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. So a lot of people reached out people in LA, um, people in San Francisco, people in Orange County, mm-hmm. people in Chicago, people in Boston, people in Seattle, people in Australia, wow. <laughs> um, and people out here. So, Whoever, like, main organized, I spoke to, like, um, some main people. Um, Max Long in San Francisco, I spoke mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. So whoever reached out from San Francisco from that day on, I referred them to Max Long on Facebook. Um, whoever reached out in L.A., I referred them to this other person in L.A. Whoever reached out in Orange County, I referred them to the female out there. Um, then I try to concentrate here in New York, right? Because if we can't protect ourselves here, the world is watching New York. Mm-hmm. No, you know, it's hard to lead other places, right? So people in New York were like, oh, um, I'm in Brooklyn. I don't want to go out to Queens. Can I do something in Brooklyn? Sure. 
I found, I did my research. I found there's a COP program, which is kind of like um, what something similar to the Jewish community where they have the Jewish police. So the Chinese have one in um, in Eighth Avenue, Sunset Park. It's called, um, you know, it's the COP program. So I, I referred them to them. People in Brooklyn go to the COP program. They're located here on Eighth Avenue on what, I think a 56th Street or something like that. And then <clears throat> people in Manhattan, I knew Carlin Chan at the time. And, you know, I was like, hey, Carlin, people were reaching out about Black, Pro- uh, Black Watch program. Are you interested in doing it? He was like, yeah, I've been walking out here by myself, you know, um, every day. That was when he was walking around in the morning every day, to the patrol every day by himself. And I was like, oh, but I got people that want to volunteer. He was like, all right, we'll see. So I referred them to him. And then that's when he put together his Black Watch thing, right? Um, how I feel, at least. And then um, out here in Flushing, we created Asians in America. And, you know, all the volunteers, you know, came together for that. So right away, when we decided to organize, because we, I realized we needed a nonprofit one, right? We need to organize. So we mm-hmm. created Asians in America. Number two thing was to remove myself from that organization. Why? Because I'm running for political office. I didn't want it to become political at all. Right. And so I removed myself from the organization. I gave it to the volunteers. The volunteers are running it. Right. And, you know, they still attack me on it. But what are the cases? Um, I met Peter on Facebook also. Right. And, you know, he was very supportive. Um, he's seen the stuff that I've been doing, giving out masks before people were giving out masks. We did, you know, stop Asian hate marches and, and, and initiatives and Black Watch initiatives way before anybody else even thought about it. And, you know, it's just to, to see it happen, to see it what become what it is now, it's a beautiful thing still. You know, I don't care about claiming credit and stuff like that. Who cares who did it first? Long is done. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's two new Black Watch programs out in Flushing now. There's one called Main Street Patrol, which is a bunch of uh, younger adults. And then you have, um, what is it, PSP? Right, and they are a bunch of older people, um, and it's beautiful what they're doing now. It's like they're going out, they're trying to keep people safe, you know. And I try to tell them, like, you can't fight hate with hate. We want keep in mind, we're not creating the Black Watch programs, you know, to target non-Asians who are attacking us. We're, we're creating it to keep all people of color safe. Everyone is safe, you know. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, yellow. Doesn't matter. We're keeping everyone safe. All right. That's great. So these are all yeah. volunteers that live in these communities or these neighborhoods, and they are absolutely. doing a neighborhood block watch. Yes, absolutely. So they're so, doing their own block watches now. Right. So yeah. then that also means that the people that are volunteering for the block watch don't have to be Asian either. No, no, we we're, we're mixed. Oh, that's all, all the volunteers are mixed. So also now we're Asian America. So what happened was um, since the lockdown happened and the Black Watch thing wasn't um, going off like that, we decided, you know what, we're getting donations for food, right? Um, let's donate the food to people who need it because seniors can't leave the house now. They need to get food and stuff like that. So we got cooked food, unfortunately. And the cooked food... Um, I don't want to say unfortunately, but we got cooked food. And 
the seniors didn't want to cook food. Oh. They wanted fresh groceries. Mm. So we didn't have that. So we were like, okay, we got all this cooked food now. We got we got donate to somebody. We got to give it to somebody. So who do we who do we give it to? The only people mm. that are out there are first responders. At that time, it was only first responders out there, and they couldn't get food because some restaurant, most restaurants weren't open. Right. This is the early part of the pandemic. Yes. So we we started giving out the food to first responders. We gave it to the local precincts. We gave it to the hospitals. We gave it to. Um, fire department, EMS, homeless. We gave it to some seniors who, who wanted it, you know. Um, and then we went citywide. We went, we gave it out everywhere in Brooklyn. We gave it out in Manhattan, out in wow, the Bronx, out in Harlem. Much. Yeah, okay. we gave it out all the way out to the Mount Sinai, wow. all the way up there. So, <clears throat> and we were picking up every day, right? And, you know, again, again, my political opponent, um, Whole internal fears on me, and wow. said that said that I was running around uh, with my police uniform, giving out food. I was off duty. I was not wearing any police uniform. The only mm-hmm. thing they, that he they they used to identify me as a police officer was mm-hmm. my badge that's on my mm-hmm. belt, mm-hmm. which you see all cops wear when they're off duty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got in trouble for that. Yeah. 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 And he's not out there because he was he was upstate with, with his family upstate. Mm. So whatever the case is, um, we did that, and then um, we s- realized okay, the city started giving out programs where people could register online to uh, apply for groceries to be delivered to their house. But seniors, especially um, Asian seniors, they don't know how to use the computer. Mm-hmm. Some right. of them on- some of them only have flip phones. Yeah. Right, like my parents, my mom, she doesn't use an iPhone or whatever. She has a flip phone. My dad tries to be hip and have um, a smartphone, but he's calling me every week, Steve. <laughs> how do I do this? How do I do that? You know. So they don't know. They don't understand how to use this technology. So what we did was we were like, call us, and we will help you sign up. Right. So we helped them sign up uh, over the phone, you know, or in person and stuff like that. And it was good because we got like good amount of people signed up that and then uh, we kept on getting food and from there we went to um, cook food to groceries and so we started donating groceries to people Um, we kept on getting PPE and we donated PPE and then the Black Lives Matter marches started Mm -hmm. Um, and we started participating in that because we felt what happened to George Floyd was very wrong Mm And so we started participating in that. And then we went from that to Asians for Black Lives Matter because people at the marchers were saying, they were trying to point to the Asians saying Asians don't support that um, the black community spend all the money in Asian businesses and then they don't get back to the community, which is not true. So mm-hmm. we, we, we want to show them, hey, we're here to support. Mm-hmm. We got you. We're giving PPE to you guys. We're giving whatever mm-hmm. you guys need. We're here to support. Mm-hmm. So we started marching with them. And then, you know, Asian hate started rising more and more when Trump was like Chinese virus and stuff. And so it went from that, from us being attacked more, and we started, um, they can't burn us all. So the grandmother was set on fire in Bensonhurst, and you know, a friend of mine called me and it was like, hey, Steve, I want to do something with this. And I was like, all right, cool. And I put them together with my other friend who was doing marches, who is 
now the CEO of Asians in America, um, World XM, and put them together, and we organized the march in um, on Bensonhurst. And then um, from that, they went national with it, right? From that, the Asian Hate Crime Task Force was created. Um, we also realized that it was all volunteer-based because as soon as I, heard, I found out about it, when they told me at the second rally, the second rally we marched from Washington Square Park to um, the Hate Crime Task Force, and they told me that, oh, they just created a unit for you know Asian hate crimes. Right? Where is the Asian hate crime task force? It's uh, the seventh precinct. Oh, it's okay. right at the foot of the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh. So, um, we went there, and then you know they told us the hate crime task force was created. I called up my friends immediately that I know, like other Asian officers. And they're like, "Yeah, I'm about, I'm in it." I was like, "Oh, what is it about?" He was like, "Oh, it's bullshit. It's all volunteer based." There's no real unit. There's no real office. I'm still assigned to my own command, right? Which is like, you know, whatever command to add, like the 7th Precinct or mm-hmm. like, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, 1st uh, Precinct or 5th Precinct, whatever they're mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this on my own time, volunteer, right? Meaning they don't get paid overtime or whatever for it. They don't right. get paid to do the job. It's right. on your own time. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember, like, cops, they have a very heavy caseload. Detectives mm-hmm. have heavy caseloads. Mm-hmm. So for them to investigate and dedicate their time to their caseload that they actually get, that they actually have to take care of, and then to volunteer their time on the side, you know, it's like, what are we, some kind of side project? You know I mean? Like, we deserve a dedicated unit. There, some, some of the lashback, some of the pushback from that, from other officers are, oh, if we create that, it's going to open up a whole can of worms. Because then the Jewish community is going to want one. The black community is going to want one. The Spanish community is going to want one. Everybody, their own, every community is going to want one. Mm-hmm. My response to that, so what? They deserve one. <laughs> you know, like every community deserves police officers that can relate to their community. Cops that can relate to you, speak your language, you know, understand your culture understand what we go through this way they could protect us and keep us safe. And they know, you know, they un- like when I worked in the reason why I say this is because when I worked in six, seven, pre- East Flatbush and Brownville, it's mostly West Indian, right? Mm-hmm. Jamaican, Haitian, mm-hmm. you know, Trinidadians. I grew up in Flatbush, so I understand the culture. Mm-hmm. Most of the cops, um, most of the, I'm not racist, but most of the white cops that were, that were in that precinct were from Long Island and they were culture shock because most, to most of them, that was their first time in the city because hmm. they, you, they usually are in Long Island. Right. You know, they don't come out to the city that often. So they were culture shock where they've seen so many black and brown faces, you know, and so forth and so on. And they don't understand the culture. It's like, what are they doing? Oh, they're acting like savages. No, they're not. You know, they're, that's the culture. We hang out on the corner. Where do you guys hang out? Oh, we hang out at 7-Eleven or in the park. Like, what kind of park? Like, oh, in the forest. Wait, you hang out in the forest and 7-Eleven? <laughs> to me, that's like, what? Who does that? <laughs> you know, that sounds like a horror movie or something, like hanging out in the forest in the dark. Like, who does that? No, we hang out at the basketball courts or we hang out, you know, at, you know, the handball courts or we hang out in front of the, you know, the stores or on the stoop. You know, that's what we do in the city. 
to them, they don't understand the culture. So that's why they, they harass the people who are hanging out on the corners and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, what are you doing here hanging out on the corner? Yeah, like they're loitering. Yeah. Right. But meanwhile, if you're in Long Island and kids are hanging out in front of 7-Eleven, they're not going to say anything because they did that themselves when they grew up. This is why you need cops that understand our culture to come from right. our neighborhoods, to come from our culture. They can understand it and be like, oh, they're just hanging out on the corner. They're not doing anything. You know, or they're just hanging out in front of the building. They're not doing anything. You know, or maybe because they don't have air conditioning or something in the house and it's hot out, it's, it's summer, and they want to hang out outside because the air conditioning is broken. So they're hanging out in front of the building, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, like they're just hanging out because they're bored inside the house, you know, and it's, it's, it's different cultures. So like for, for them to say that, oh, they're acting, they're loitering and stuff like that, it, it's, you're not relating to us. You don't understand why, why we're out here. So, <clears throat> um, for you to ask me about that, uh, being a police officer, I've seen a lot of um, bias uh, responses, and uh, it's something that we need to change. So that's why I'm fighting mm-hmm. for police reform. And right. so forth and so on. It was very interesting what you said about um, the Asian Hate uh, Task Force, because um, my previous episode that I did on Asian Hate, um, the people that I talked to. Um, were harassed by somebody who called them a racial slur. And um, Sulan, who was on the podcast, said that she actually sent an email to the Asian Hate Task Force but got no response. But now I know why, because it's all volunteers and people are just doing this on the um, Right. It's getting better. It's mm -hmm. getting better, but it's it's still not there yet. We need... Yeah, because like it takes a lot of manpower. You have to have accountability and like yes, some procedures you need the resources. and things like that. Yeah, right. If yeah. you had the, if they had the budget and the resources, they could be doing so much more. You know, maybe yeah. we wouldn't be being getting attacked so much. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, mm-hmm. but um, you know, after that we started doing um, stop Asian hate, and right now we're at you know where we are now, which is like we're doing basketball games for the kids. Um, so they could feel safe to play together. Um, you know, we're still giving out PPE. We're still giving out food every every weekend, um, and we're marching. You know, we stop. We're doing stop Asian hate marches nationally. Um, you know, we're pushing for the Asian Hate Crime Task Force, uh, but we want it to be done correctly, where they're not targeting non Asians. You know, we want them to be very fair in it, and you know, that's about it. Yeah. You know, and P- Peter's been seeing it from the very beginning. So yeah, yeah. and I know I know Peter has stories about um, things that he's experienced or like his yeah, family's his wife. experienced. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peter, do you want to share that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. You know what? Let's do this. Let me just try to relate myself a little bit to Taiwan. You know, because I'm sure this is a <laughs> Taiwan podcast, so the people with the audience want to know a little bit about my relationship to Taiwan. You know, I'm, I'm not born in Taiwan, you know, I'm, I'm born in mainland China, but I was born in Nanjing. And, uh, you know, Nanjing plays a significant uh, part to, 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 to Taiwan, you know, because Nanjing is the, the first capital after the feudal China was thr- overthrown, you know, in 19, 1912. And uh, uh, Republic of China at the time, or... A lot of people known Republic of China as Taiwan because it's they see the flag flying over there, but you know of course I don't want to go into the whole politics, but but the first capital of the Republic of China was in Nanjing, 
And uh, after the Kuomintang and the uh, CCP fought, after the Civil War, and the, the, the Republic of China went to Taiwan, and Taipei became the, the capital city of Republic of, of China. And that's also when when the Beijing became the capital of People's Republic of China. So, but when I came to the U.S., you know, back in China, I didn't know anything about Taiwanese people. Back in China, I was taught Taiwan was uh, the de facto province. And as a matter of fact, it wasn't even de facto. All I know was that it was a province. Uh, and it, but I never met any, anyone from Taiwan. Uh, after I came to the States, and I'm at, immediately, it was culture shock for me. I met a lot of Taiwanese and, and, uh, and different type of Taiwanese. Uh, you know, before anyone who called me a chink, uh, it was actually the Taiwanese kids. kids. They used to call me uh, mainland pig, call me scum. Um, a lot of uh, very derogatory remarks, you know. So I figured that, that I, you know what, I was old enough to understand there's a difference there. So I, I wasn't so uh, so hurt, but I kind of know they they must have learned this from their parents. And uh, but you know what, these the same same kids who 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 attacked me for being a mainlander, you know what, they became some of my bestest friends. You know, and as I grew up in New York. Uh, I began to 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 be associated with more and more kids from Taiwan, from Hong Kong, different Chinese diasporas from all the places. Then I also I get to relearn about the history I didn't learn in China, and I get to learn a lot about being Chinese, despite the fact that I'm in America. I get to learn more about Chinese, you know. Um, how I got how I, how I, my relationship with Taiwan, you know, even on a personal basis, I've had many relationships with Taiwanese girls. Uh, I have been to Taiwan, uh, but as far as for the Taiwanese community, you know, how I first met Felicia, it, it was through a uh, Taiwanese-based cultural platform like Asian New York, uh, you know, with Danny, Chris Nicodemus, through all these uh, fashion shows, uh, importing a Taiwanese artists through Taiwanese tourism, and I've been invited to TANY annual meetings. Uh, I have even like sold zhongzi with Pindong Tongxianghui, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, th- those politics-wise, they are, they are on the independent side. Uh, I met Felicia, I met uh, legendary uh, Mr. Su Ben, uh, the, the Taiwanese independence pioneer. And people say, yo, you're from mainland China, you know. Uh, how 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 you even associate with these people? I said no, man. I'm American, bro. I'm bro, I'm American. I mean here, and we all have different background, different ancestry. Despite the fact that some people say they're on the extreme end, for me, that's culture, man. You know, I, I love to meet different people and different backgrounds. You know, we all can come down and break bread and drink Taiwan beer and have a good time. You know, so that's my relationship with Taiwanese. But, Thank uh, you for that, Peter. No problem at all. But, you know, growing up growing up in, in Queens, uh, I grew up in Bayside, later on in Flushing. In Flushing, there's a lot of Taiwanese in Flushing, Taiwan Center. Uh, so right about last year in January, I was still living in Flushing at the time. And, uh, you know, one morning around January, my wife went to drop off my kid at the school. And uh, the outside the street, school streets is very crowded, very hectic. People double park and triple park. And uh, so basically, there was this lady, uh, Hispanic lady, who tried to cut in into the traffic, but the traffic so tight, she couldn't merge in front of my wife. So then she angrily came behind her 
right? And at the stoplight, so this lady decided to come out, uh, come out of her car and walk one car up to my wife's car and knock on the window and basically complain to her saying, why don't you let me merge into traffic? And uh, before this happened, they made con eye contact. So I believe that this Hispanic woman thought she can strong arm my wife and just harassed her because she figured she, she won't say anything. And so she walks up and say, why can't you let me merge? Right? So my wife's like, it's too dangerous. There's too many traffic, too many cars. Also kids crossing the streets. But some people, they just want to own the road. You know? So from, this, from here, she didn't like the way my, my wife answered. Immediately she throws out, call her a diseased Chinese bitch. My wife is Korean. She's not even Chinese. But because the virus came from China, and on top, you know, Donald Trump at the time started with the whole China virus. You know, two racists, they can't tell the difference between Asians. They can't tell if you're Korean or Chinese or Japanese. As if, you get, if you all look similar, have the similar looking eyes, they all think you're a Chinese virus, you know? So that's why it's so blatantly for this person to just throw out Chinese disease, Chinese bitch. So from that, you know, my wife grew up here, and she's not the type you know, who just going to let someone lay on her like that. So she came out of the car and said, you know, confront her. What'd you say? But this lady decided to sucker punch my, my wife, oh, hit her with a phone. Wow. And, then she, and then she started to bleed from her head and she was blinded. She couldn't, she couldn't fight back because she couldn't see, you know, she, you know blinded with the blood. There, was a lot, there were a lot of people on the streets, mostly parents dropping off the kids. The school is like 60%, 70% uh, Asian. But none of the parents came, you know, came, came, to, it came to the aid, you know. Just like a mm -hmm. lot of these incidents you see on TV, mm -hmm. on the subway, people don't help. People don't mm -hmm. even scream. They, they, they'd rather take out their phone and, and record, but nobody say anything. Stay tuned for part two when you'll hear the rest of what happened to Peter's wife, and we'll continue the discussion with Peter and Steve on the topic of Asian hate. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Join us next week for my interview with Dr. Yen, NASA scientist and the driver of the Mars Perseverance rover. When I spoke to Dr. Yen recently, he shared the exciting news that this week the Mars helicopter Ingenuity is set to make history by being the first aircraft to fly on Mars. Check NASA's website and social media for news on Ingenuity's flight. We really appreciate all the feedback and support that we've been getting from our listeners. In fact, we just set up a Patreon account. For contributions starting at $5 a month or $60 a year, you can help keep this podcast independently produced and all episodes commercial-free for your uninterrupted listening pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite platform tell a friend about us, or help others to discover Talking Taiwan by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.